Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. Alright, this week's episode we are going to be diving into Mosaic, a story of civilization. We are going to be taking a look at Verdant, which is the newest release of the design team that has done Calico and Cascadia, so you know I'm on board. Uh <laughs> This one's about houseplants, which I love that theme. So I was excited to play it. The themes they've been coming up with with those are actually pretty cool. So I got to give them a lot of credit for that. They're thinking outside of the box. Uh, We're going to keep trucking along with that top 100. So this week we're going to be looking at 60 through 51. Then we'll be halfway. Yeah, we will be halfway through the old old top 100. That is for sure. It feels (laughs) weird to hit the halfway point, honestly. But um, I do have some exciting news I want to share. Uh, my company that I work for, they have a radio show local to my area where I live. We live in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and they have a radio show that airs every Saturday at 8 a.m. And the two hosts are basically the marketing people for my company. And they asked me to be on the radio. So I get to go on there and... They asked me to do some recommendations for some games. Ooh. So they they typically do a contest every Christmas time. And they usually give away a bunch of prizes. And some of that is board games and a variety of other things. Because the the Dan is the main um main guy on the show. He's the main host. And Dan is a board gamer. Ooh. Casual casual board gamer, I would say. He's actually our main Game store that we game at, he actually goes to the one in Zealand a lot because he lives in Zealand, which is oh. where uh, the one local to Natasha. So, yeah, they uh, they asked me to come on. They said, hey, you want to do some board game recommendations? So I'm going to be on the what radio. What are you going to recommend? Oh, man. You know what? I have no idea. <laughs> That's I've been I've been racking my brain about what it is I can recommend. And what I almost kind of want to do is I want to go to a, like a Target that's by me or a, or a, like a, I'm going to say Walmart, but for us, it's a, it's Meyer. you know, go to one of these local, like larger grocery stores and just see what board games they have available. Cause that's a good I, idea. it would make sense to recommend games that are easily accessible for people mm-hmm. that you can just go and target seems to be doing a really good job with putting games on their shelves, you know? So he's like, you know, do maybe a party game and maybe do some more like in-depth games, that kind of thing. So I'm really excited about it, and uh, if I'm being honest, this is not the first time I've been on the radio show. This is actually going to be my third. Oh, yeah, I know I'm pretty, pretty hot stuff in the Grand Rapids area. Let me tell you, <laughs> um, You're like a little celebrity. Basically. No, no, no. It what's funny is the customers that listen to it, so they'll approach me or whatever after a segment, and then I won't hear about it for a while. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of exciting to be able to go on there and just kind of share the passion of board games with, you know, the people in that area or whatever. So I'm pretty excited. Well, don't, don't screw it up. Make sure you get good recommendations. Oh, but speaking of, um, I'm going to need you to help me with that list off air. So if you want to, <laughs> cause that, cause they said I could plug the podcast. So obviously it would be our list just like it's our, our top 100. So mm-hmm. it's the board we game shenanigans. Yet, recommend- we should, we should look at what's in the top then. 
Maybe our we top should. 10. The, the biggest thing is I want to. I, I do want to go to the local store and just kind of see what they have. Yeah. If they, yeah. you know, if they have specific games or whatever, because I don't want to recommend a game that's like out of print or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be interesting, but I'm yeah, I'm excited about it. If anyone's a local to Grand Rapids that listens, um, the episode should be airing December third, and it is the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. So R E P C O L I T E. Are you like the the Tim the Toolman Taylor the Home Improvement Show? Am I the Tim the Toolman Taylor? Yeah, like uh, maybe no, the guys so... are. <laughs> You're just a they, guess. No. Uh, no, so kind of. So the company I work for is a, is a paint manufacturer. So I run a retail paint store. And uh, so they, we manufacture our own brand. And then if uh, we also um, sell Benjamin Moore and a variety of other products. But uh, they created this radio show and they do quite a bit with just all sorts of construction. You know, they don't just limit it to just paint. You know, um, they did get on this habit for a while where they started talking about like bugs in your home. And when you listen to it, like when you hear about like termites and stuff, I'm listening, like I'm down in my basement, like looking at like rafters and stuff and like checking for termite damage. So I'm like, hey, you guys got to stop that, you know. He's <laughs> just great in paranoia. Pretty much. Yeah. I was like, you guys need to just knock that off. Let's just not do that anymore. But all right, let's go ahead and get into some games, huh? Uh, first up, I want to talk about Mosaic uh, Story of Civilization. This is an area control action selection civilization game designed by Glenn Drover, published by Forbidden Games, and there is probably like nine or ten artists for this particular game. In this game, players will become leaders of unique civilizations, growing their populations, building wonders, and expanding their cities, towns, and ports. In Mosaic, players will be taking turns selecting and performing one of the eight available actions until one of two different endgame conditions are fulfilled. There are four main decks in the game that correspond to four actions. This is also one of the endgame conditions because each deck will have an empire scoring card in it, and once you have drawn and resolved three of them, that will trigger the end of the game. But we will talk about empire scoring in a minute. First are the eight actions. The first thing you can do is work, which produces the three main resources in the game, stone, food, and ideas. These resources have tracks on your personal player board that indicate how much your sieve can make. Next, you can increase your population. A player will pay a certain amount of food based on one of the two available cards in the display and add that many population to their player board. Population serves a couple functions. First, it increases your production, and it is also a cost to build a city or a port, which is the next action you can take is build. You can either build a town, a city, or a port. This is how you're going to expand your presence onto the main board. Next, you can build a wonder, which has a high cost but offers endgame points. You can discover a new technology. This is actually interesting because you have to pay ideas for new technology, but there can be some prerequisites. So in this game, there are nine pillars of civilization, which are represented by icons on the various cards. Some technology cards require you to have the symbols already in your tableau, and they will usually give you additional symbols. The next action you can take is the tax and tariff action, which will give you money based on the two tracks on your player board and a couple of other conditions like, you know, how many unique trade goods you have. You can take the military action, which lets you place troops onto the board, which increases your strength in a region. And this is probably a good time to talk about the empire scoring. So when that card is revealed, the current player will finishes their turn 
and then you will score each region on the board. Players will add up their strength from their cities, troops, wonders, and whoever has the most will be victorious, gaining victory points. One of the main things to note is a city and a region will give players influence, but they will also give the winner victory points. So if you lose the battle but have a city, the winner will score a point off of your city. And the last action you can do is create a government. Each one has a resource cost and will provide your civilization with some sort of benefit. I do want to touch on the last way the game can end because there's two sets of achievement tiles, Civilization and Golden Age. Each one has a requirement you can fulfill, like uh, having a certain number of icons or you build a certain number of wonders. I, when two of the Wonder, Civ, Achievements, or Golden Age tiles are taken, that is also an endgame trigger. In order to calculate your endgame total, you'll add up the points from your cities and towns, any Golden Age or Civ achievements, project cards, tech cards, town cards, and then add up to the points that you got during Empire scoring. Lastly, you're going to subtract any negative unrest that you have, and that is your score. I think what makes this game interesting is how it kind of all comes together. So you have this area control aspect, which is interesting, but then you also have these technology cards, which are going to give you some interesting and cool benefits. It just, it just seems like there's a lot of interesting choices on your turn to take. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely a lot of choices. Eight different options you can do on your turn, which I, I find a little bit overwhelming. I wish there was a little bit less. Um, I like the card play a lot. Because you get benefits for building all these cards and developing these technologies that those increase a lot of your production. That's fun. You get a couple technologies before you start the game and you get a uh, player uh, character that gives you special powers. So you start off the game with like a lot of resources or the ability to make a lot of resources, which is really fun. I like that a lot. I like the components and everything. It's beautiful, of course. It's gorgeous. Uh, everything about it's gorgeous. Um, but I just really struggled with the area control part of it because I don't know if it was just I, I struggled because I was like okay so do I want to spread myself out and try to get in a lot of regions which I didn't I kind of stuck in one region and just built out there trying to like okay I know I have majority and I'll just try to get more points by building more cities that didn't work out very well for me because I, I hardly scored any points I needed to get at least second place in a couple of them to score some points but I also like didn't want to build cities just to give somebody else more points either so like the area I liked everything about it except for the area control part I was really curious when I got this game how you were going to deal with the area control aspect of it because you can get a decent amount of points from that mm -hmm. the game we played one particular player focused very heavily on scoring during the empire scoring she scored a ton of points during Empire Scoring. I mean, probably 30, 40 points more than I did yep. easily. But I was focusing on a lot of the cards to create endgame scoring because a, a lot of the cards can create some endgame scoring that you can do. Mm -hmm. I was also focusing a lot on Wonders, which gave you some endgame scoring. Yep. And at the end of the game, I lost by like 10 points. So that the Empire Scoring stuff, that area control doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, if you don't focus on it completely, doesn't mean you're going to lose. You you do need to win some throughout the course just to develop some points. And it has, a, yeah. it has the scaling because when you win, you're going to get a certain amount of points. It's like three points or whatever. All right, no big deal. But then you're going to get a point for every city within that region. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be more cities at the third scoring than there isn't going to be in the first scoring. So it has yeah. this ramp up. 
I did not go out enough, so I scored very little in the Empire scoring, and my goal was to focus on the cards and the, the set collection of the cards, and I took a lot of cards that gave me endgame scoring, and I, I definitely earned the most endgame scoring, but it wasn't enough compared to you guys were also getting on some endgame scoring. It might, I, you need to score these Emperor scoring. You need to score majority. You need to be in a few areas at least, which I was hoping I could get out of completely. Yes, you do. You do need to keep in mind that empire scoring because if you don't, you, yeah, you can score a lot of points from a lot of different things. But if you don't win at least maybe a region or two, not even two, even like one region with some cities in it, you can fall pretty far behind. I would say at least at least one and then maybe second place in a couple of them or win at least a couple of them. You may be second place in one or something like that. At least a few. Because you do get points for second place. So you do yeah. get something just for, you know, being second. So but. I was, I, because I was going for end game scoring, um, I was depending on the cards that came up. So I was really looking for certain cards that score me points. And um, I struggled. Those like didn't come up when I wanted them or they would pop up. And then the person to my, to my right would scoop them up. So that I found that really, really frustrating because I was like, okay, I'm going to go for the strategy. And then I just, all the cards I wanted just kept getting scooped up underneath me. So then it was my turn. I would like get a card I didn't really care for because I didn't have anything else to do because I wasn't planning on building. I had built up like a bunch of ideas so then I could spend all my ideas on getting technology cards, which would then give me these points. But I should have I should have been more well-rounded and, and built more buildings out on the board. So how did you feel about the separate decks? So there is the population deck, which you flip over a couple cards, and then you can say, all right, pay five food for one population. Pay, you know, 20 food for two populations, something along those lines. There is a generic cost if that deck ever runs out, and I think it's like 15 food gets you one population, okay? Then there's the uh, town, city, port, and project cards, mm -hmm. which basically allow you to build the different buildings. So there's ports and cities, which are almost identical in every way, except ports can only go in port spots and cities can't go in port spots. So as far as like terminology, they function identically, except there's just somewhat of a building restriction. And you can build them anywhere on the board. It does not matter. There's no restriction. I didn't like that like because I felt like the board looked really messy and it was hard to figure out which all the pieces were because there was four different types of buildings out there. But only the cities and the ports scored, and the, the ports looked a lot like the farms and the manufacturing towns. So yes. I wish that was a little bit clearer. Um, as far as the decks go, that was fun. I liked all the decks of cards. I like cards. I like the population was kind of random of what was up. Um, yep. tech, the tech technology cards were all over the place. Like some, a lot of them gave you more resources, more production. Mm -hmm. So then later in the game, those aren't as valuable. You know, so it's just it, it's kind of random the way that they come up. And if it's your turn, you can buy them if but somebody else might buy them for you. So that's frustrating. But that's normal, I guess, with like card drafting like that. Did you like how they randomly got just flipped and whatever was shown was shown? Or would you have preferred like a progression of some kind? So, you know, yeah. era one, era two, era three cards, and then they just, you know, play off of each other. Or did you like the way it was kind of just a random set of cards? I think I would have liked it better if it was progressed like that, but but that's fine, you know. It's it just it, it what bothered me because I would want cards and then somebody would take them, 
you know, so I, I think that there was certainly some better cards that were out there. And then if they just was a luck of the drop, they came out right in front of your turn or nobody bought them. Sure. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The card play in this game is interesting because you, you, you basically buy the card and then you can place it within your tableau. And typically there's the basic form of each of the actions. So you can it to build a, a city, it costs a certain amount of stone population. Okay. And you could just build a city. It doesn't matter. But if you use a card to build a city, you gain something because of it. Yeah. Whether that be money, whether that be, you know, increase on these tracks or whatever. And I thought that play was interesting because if you need to build a city, you can. You're mm-hmm. not for- like forced by the cards, but it makes more sense to wait to get to the card that you want. So when you're expanding onto the board, one of the things I want to touch on and I didn't talk about in the thing is the board ends up getting seeded with a bunch of tokens. There's trade goods and then there's like... I forget the name of it, but they basically give you a, a resource or something initially. So when you place a city on it, you scoop up that token. If it's a trade good, you put it into a little on your player board. And then having so many unique trade goods helps with like taxes and tariffs. The other ones that you get, like you can all of a sudden get, let's say, 10 ideas or you can get 10 stone or you can get these random things that, you know, give you a boost of production. And that's really random the way it's set up. Mm-hmm. That part, I don't... I understand why they include it because you're going to need that for certain things, but I don't know. It just felt weird how you seeded the board because you get a, a ton of tokens and like half the tokens have X's on them. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to flip them down, shuffle them, place them on the board, flip them all up. The ones with X's you remove. Yeah, no. <laughs> to like randomly seed the board. And the thing is, how could you randomly seed the board otherwise? You know, it just maybe pulling them out of a bag and when you're in a specific region or whatever, but then you can start. I don't know. It was weird. That part was weird. It was a bit of a setup. Yeah, I was not going to flip them all and then flip, reflip them all once they're on the board. I just randomly grabbed them and put them out without paying attention to which one was going where. Yeah. Even though I instructed Natasha because I wanted to see how that setup was going to go. I was like, hey, can you do this? And she's just like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, That's how you sound, by the way. I'm not doing that. Uh, I don't think so. The, Nobody believes that. <laughs> no, they don't. I do want to talk about the components real quick. So I have the Kickstarter Colossal Edition or whatever. It's mm-hmm. a ridiculous game that does not fit on a Calyx shelf. And you get a bunch of plastic in exchange for tokens for your civilization. You know, you have molds for ports, cities, uh, manufacturing towns, and farm towns. And you already hinted at this a little bit. They are so incredibly similar to each other. It's incredibly difficult to differentiate them to just by looking on the board. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many times we did an empire scoring and I was like, all right, you're going to score for this city, this city, this city. And somebody's like, that's not a city. That's a town. And I'm like, oh, yep, you're right. It's not. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at them in front of you, they look very distinct from each other. But as soon as you place them on the board, it just becomes this like mess. Yeah. Which is disappointing that it didn't get better thought through, you know? Yes. Because the cities look very different than the other three. Cool. But you also have to count ports. So they should have made ports like similar shape to cities. Like maybe if they made ports and cities both bigger and then the the farms and the other ones smaller or shorter, however they want to do it, it doesn't matter. But they don't aren't distinguished on the board. You could wash them. You could put a wash on one and a highlight on the other, and that would just wash to differentiate. Yeah, differentiate the two. So there's four mm-hmm. building types, right? 
And then with the population, you get little small people and you get little big people. Well, the big people are fives and the little people are ones. And it's a lot like the voyages of Marco Polo. Like they're not that different. Yeah. That you can look at somebody's board and know what they have as far as population is concerned. That's fine because you know what you have. It doesn't really matter what other people have. I suppose that's true. Unless they put it out on the board. It just, and then you have, uh, for troops, you have um, cavalry, you have soldiers, and then you have siege engines. Mm-hmm. And for the purposes of Empire scoring, if you have no technology card, they're all exactly the same. Except you can't build a siege unit unless you have a technology card. But like the the troops and the cavalry are the exact same. The only difference is you can get technology cards that will increase their value within a region. Yeah, so that's why they have a d- distinction from them, is so that you can you know that these are worth more than the pop- than the troops. Even then. They go into a region, but they don't occupy a space. They're just kind of sitting next to the board. Yeah. And then you can move them and stuff. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting. There is currency in the game, which allows you to buy stuff. And one of the main things the currency does is it, you can trade it two for one for a good. So if you need a stone, you can, instead of using a stone, you can use two, two money in order to mm-hmm. buy stone from somebody. I like that a lot. That's how I, so I barely produced any sort of goods. I didn't need to because I just, for whatever reason, I kept getting money. I had this one tech card that anytime somebody built a city, I would get money or mm-hmm. a town. I would just like, I just started accumulating a ton of money and I did the tax and tariff thing. So I just, I used that for most of what I needed. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you guys, like, I thought I was totally broken, but he didn't win. So I guess it wasn't. No, I did not win. No, it's, I don't, is it broken? I don't know. You got it really early on. It's probably not common to get that that card so early. I I did get it pretty early, so I was able to. We built a lot. Like I don't know if that's a typical game. We did go through that entire deck, and we're continuing to build afterwards. That was a big part of people's strategy was building. Yes, we did do quite. We went through. So you have to get three of the cards, and they're in the four decks, right? And the way you seed it in a in anything above a three player game, so four and above, which I think this game can go up to six is you take the card and it's basically in the bottom half of three of the decks and the bottom third of the tech technology deck. So I think they're, the idea of the game is the technology cards are supposed to get acquired faster than the other cards. In our game, build, we built way more than we acquired technology cards. Mm-hmm. And then in like a two or three player game that it's again, it's going to be in the bottom half of all the decks except the technology deck, it's going to be in the middle third. So that's where that card comes in. So I think you're technically supposed to do more tech cards than you are building cards. Maybe maybe that's why there's a lot of scoring with those, the Empire scoring as well. You know, yeah. if you didn't build a lot, the scoring wouldn't be near as high. It was definitely an interesting game how it kind of put all these pieces together. So you had set collection with trade goods. You had tracks on your board that would equate to tax tariff productions. There was the area control aspect onto the board. There was the technology cards that allowed you to, you know, develop your civilization in different ways, acquiring those pillars of civilization, giving you those things. You could get these cards for developing or building towns, cities, ports that would give you additional production and things, or they would give you some sort of endgame scoring conditions. And then you could fulfill these golden age and these achievement tiles. Then you could build these wonders. And there's a lot of things coming into this game 
And realistically, it just boils down to those actions, which is a lot. But at the end of the day, each action by themselves is pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. Once you figure it out, it's pretty simple and it's all on the board. Like each of the actions is represented on the board, which is really nice. You can kind of see all the options you have. It is very overwhelming because then you also have to keep track of these those achievements that are out there and oh yeah there's these wonders you can build yeah there's just there's a lot going on if you like games with a lot of options um i do like that it has a lot of resources it's not it's never tight like i certainly ran out and i was like okay i need more ideas or i need more money or i need more uh food but you can get that you produce all of a sudden you've got a ton now to get you through a few more rounds yep you take like a a, like a off turn and just Get a bunch of food. Yeah, you work and you can get a bunch of whatever you want. Um, You pick one track and collect all those goods. What would you rate this game? I'm going to give it a six. I didn't love it. And I think it was the area control that that really I didn't like a lot. Um, But I did like the card mechanic. It's also, you know, very large and heavy and overwhelming. Um, Quite a bit of setup for me. So, yeah, that's why I'm giving it a six. Okay, I am going to give this game an eight. I liked it. I liked it actually quite a bit. There's, I think, a lot going on, and there's a lot of good decisions, and there's a lot of strategies you can develop throughout the course of the gameplay. During this review, I talked negatively about a lot of different things, I feel like. But overall, the game came together in a very cool and unique way with everything. There's like so many things going on, but it didn't necessarily feel it feels overwhelming at first but once you get your handle on all the all the actions it doesn't seem that overwhelming and turns kind of start speeding up a little bit cuz then you're just doing the one thing and you can take stuff and it does feel civ-esque where you're expanding and then you're you know you're have these empire scorings in these regions and you're trying to like knock people down and try to like you know increase your influence in these particular regions so it did feel very like sieve to me mm-hmm. I, and i did like that there was no military there's there no fighting you just build 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 you yeah it's not like you get in, rid of trips yeah yep. yeah you put troops in just to add influence to the area so you can more likely win it that's it there's no fighting yeah you're not technically you don't nobody ever loses like you'll lose the scoring but it's not like you're gonna lose troops or cities or anything like that no it just it literally is just the area control aspect of it so yeah. i like how it approached it mm-hmm. but, i like that you know, component issues aside and all that, yeah, I really liked it. And I want, this is the type of game you get together with some people and you just kind of explore. It is a longer game, but I think it's rewarding and fulfilling and something about playing those cards and being able to develop your tableau is just something very satisfying about that. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely like that card play with it. Yeah, if only you liked area control, you might like this game a little bit more honestly. I th- I think so. I I don't like area control, and this is the most basic of area control. Where like I build something, then you build something. Okay, now I need to build another thing. Oh, then you build another thing. So then I build. There's no like uh, area control, and then there's like a battle, and like I have a card that lets me win by losing. There's none of that. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yep. Well, uh, I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like Civ games with resource management, tableau building. You know. Uh, progressions being able to you know develop deep strategies specifically some area control i think you need to at least focus on the area control in a few regions in order to be successful in this game maybe people can prove me wrong but if you like all those sort of things i think this is a good 
solid game. It just does kind of come together in a good package. So, yeah, that is Mosaic, a story of civilization. All right, I'm going to switch gears completely and go to the other end of the spectrum. Yes, a nice little light game called Verdant. So this is in the same series of games as Calico and Cascadia, which I absolutely love. And then the the houseplant theme, I'm like 100% on board. So let me tell you a little bit about it. It's designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, Aaron Mesburn, Kevin Russ, and Sean Stankwich. The art is by Beth Sorbel, and it's published by Flat Out Games. This is a card-laying game where players are plant enthusiasts trying to create the coziest place. You're going to be drafting and placing either room cards or plant cards into a 3x5 grid in front of you. When you draft a card, you're also going to take the randomly drawn token in front of the card. The tile token can be can either help you grow your plants or are objects you can place in your room to score bonus points. If you place a plant next to a room card with the correct lighting conditions, then you add a verdant token to that plant. And when a plant has made met the verdancy requirement, you can pot it for additional points. The first one to pot plants can take the fancy pots that are worth a little bit more. You also score points by placing plant types near rooms of the same color. You get points if you get all five plant types or all five rooms. And you get a few, there's a few game objective cards that everyone can score as well. What makes this game lovely is the beautiful artwork. Um, I really like the plant theme. All of the plants are real plants. They're they're all um, beautifully drawn. It's it's really gorgeous. Um, what makes this game kind of fall flat for me is the similarities to Calico and Cascadia. It's it's a lot like that where you're drafting a card, especially Cascadia, where you're taking the card and the token with it. Um, however, you're putting it in this grid. Uh, so you're not, you don't have as many options of where the card goes because it has to be an ad- adjacent to where you already placed it. And then the grid has to alternate between room and plant. So you end up having, um, you know, every other card in a certain area. And then you score just basically all kinds of different ways to score. So so you are going to score the most by completing the plants. They'll score the, the most, but then you can also get, you know, all these other bonus types. So it just kind of, didn't really come together for me at all, really. Did you feel like it was too restrictive putting those cards down? Um, not restrictive because you can put them anywhere. Like you just, yep. as long as you put a plant next to a room, you're good. Um, you want to match the lighting conditions so you can grow verdancy with your, your advertency to your plant, but you also want to match plant and room types together because you get a point for every plant that's next to a matching room. And you can double that score if you get a matching object token. So it's not restrictive. I mean, if you could, but it's really hard to make like, okay, do I want the card that gives me the best lighting condition or do I want the card that is the same color as my plant? You know what I mean? And then it just wasn't a really difficult decision because it wasn't that interesting. It was just, you know, maybe you're going to focus on rooms, but it doesn't really give you any points it's just like if it kind of matches up and you can both get verdancy in a matching room hooray but that's just kind of luck of the draw the way the cards are out whereas like calico and cascadia you've got options you can put you know cascadia you're building out so you're starting Mm -hmm. with a few options but as you build out has this huge branch in all these directions you end up being able to place it wherever you want and there's you take a tile even if you don't it's not a tile you want you still can do something with it calico 
you might want the specific tiles, especially towards the end. But if you get a crappy tile and you don't know what to do with it, you can stick it in one of the corners. It doesn't really matter, you know, or an area you're not focusing on. I feel like this, it's like there just wasn't the tension with the card I want. Like it wasn't really, yeah, I got to make do with what I get, but it's not interesting enough for me. Sure. Yeah. I've been somewhat negative about uh, Calico and Cascadia. I won't say negative. Calico, I would say I'm more negative than I am Cascadia. Cascadia for me was fine. Mm -hmm. It's not anything I would say overly special, but you score a lot. You can score points in a lot of different ways in this game. And sometimes they're counterproductive to each other. So, for example, like one of the end game conditions is if you get the terracotta pots, they're worth two points. Well, the lowest grade pot when you complete a flower or plant is one. Mm-hmm. So well, that card was just randomly selected out of a pile of right. But it's you know it's counterproductive because I'm trying to get yeah. these plants. But then I kind of don't because those other pots are worth more, and I don't want to all of a sudden do a big turn where I get a bunch of pots and then now give, instead of giving you guys one point, I'm giving everyone, you know, two points. There's another card that we had that was, you gain two points for every missing rune type, right? Mm -hmm. But the main way you score is if you have every set of rune types, you're going to get a certain amount of points. Mm -hmm. But you also don't want everything because you want kind of all the same so you can score extra points that way so it's like well you get them all the same you get points if you don't get, if you get them all different you get points that's so the point like- is it they're counter they're counterproductive to them mm-hmm. so it to me it doesn't matter then like i do one or like for everyone i miss i get a couple points but if i get a whole set i do that like whatever i don't care yeah. because i'm gonna get points either way it's not pushing mm-hmm. me towards a, a since it's clashing with each other it makes the decision slightly more like difficult. Like, well, which points do I go for? Well, I don't know because they're both worth points, but they're both worth similar points. Do I do it? Do I not do it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was something unsatisfying about taking a room card, placing it, and even if you lined the light condition with a plant and you were able to place the Vernt token on it, if it was a different color, it felt bad. Yeah. It did not feel good to have to just take a card and place it and say, dang it, this does not match. Mm-hmm. It d- there was something about it just didn't feel good. Overall, I mean, the game the game was fine. This game is fine. Mm-hmm. I think people are really going to like it. I think the artwork is cool. I think the tokens are cool. I think it has a very good table presence. All, all about it. I think if you like Calico and you like Cascadia, chances are you'll probably like this one maybe i mean i think i think this is going to be for maybe really casual gamers that like to play like without the stress there's no stress in this game right you can just take whatever you want and place it wherever you want and see what happens you know where there's there's no tension and there's there's hoping you get the cards you want but that's not going to happen so just take what you get i guess i don't know i i love cascadia and Calico and I, I thought this was just fine. Although we did have a friend that um, the guy I bought the game from, he did like this one better than Calico and Cascadia. And I'm, I'm not quite sure why, but some some people do, so maybe they'll like it. It was fine. That's the I'm going to keep coming back to these games are fine. There's to me, there's not enough tension for me to draw back, which is weird. I mean, Cascadia of all the three, Cascadia is my favorite, mm-hmm. and I understand why people love it as much as it is. It's not a game for me. Calico is just too, it's, 
too brain burning for what it is. And this one is just, I hate to say restrictive, but it just doesn't feel, there's times where you just don't feel good about placing a card. Mm-hmm. And with so few cards that you're doing, it is kind of cool that like it's a five by three grid. So you can either have, you know, th- so you're going to have three different cards, two different cards, three different cards. Or, you know, so, or two, three, two. So do you take more plants than you take rooms? Do you take more rooms than plants? There's the set collection of tokens, which seems tacked on. That does not, it's another thing you have to draft. And I don't know why, you know, like you're furnishing your, your rooms room. with you random stuff. Yeah. Different items. Cause that's set collection. You can get a lot of points if you can get them all. But it doesn't seem, it doesn't, it's not more than you would get for your plant token. So it seems like you want to go for the plants the most. But yeah, yeah. it just, <laughs> it fell flat for me. But I mean, all these games have. So take that, take my review with a grain of salt. Do you put this like the same? Did it fall flat the same amount as the other ones did? No, I, I liked Cascadia better than this, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say if I had to, my hierarchy would be Cascadia, Verdant, and Calico. Okay. Would be, but would be the way I would rate them. So I rated Cascadia a 10. I loved it. I rated Calico a 9. I also loved it. This one I'm rating a 6. I, it just was fine. It's a peaceful game. If somebody wanted to play it, totally play it with them. But to me, there's just no tension. There's no puzzle I'm trying to solve. You know, there's there's just nothing that's terribly interesting about it. Besides the plant theme. I did love the plant theme. It's beautiful. I think you and you and I have finally agreed on one of these games because i am also coming in at a six it was fine 100 percent. that's the best way i can describe it it was fine all right that's verdant don't get terribly excited if you loved cascadia and calico maybe if you didn't like those two maybe you'll like this one i don't know i would try it before you buy it um but if you have a plant lover in your life natasha has a has a copy she's willing to sell you yeah, I do. <laughs> if you have a plant lover in your life, they might enjoy this game. You know, real quick, I do want to. I want to bring up one thing. So there, there's a corpse flower that you can get in this game, and mm-hmm. um, we have a, a a local gardens here. It's Frederick Meyer Gardens. They had a corpse flower that bloomed uh, like a couple years ago, and it like when it blooms, it smells like rotten flesh, mm-hmm. and it's super gross. And my wife and her uh, mom went and like. To look at it because it only blooms like once every 10 years i yeah. plant people are going to be mad at me that i said that because it's like no it's once every 13 whatever it it just doesn't bloom that often and when it does it smells awful uh-huh. and that and i ended up drafting everyone kept like not passing it up and i was like i'm taking it whatever let's do this i knew that from that what's that movie about the little boy who's super annoying and gets into all kinds of mischief he's a little blonde boy dennis um, the menace dennis the menace movie yes the corpse flower was in that movie I don't know how I pulled that one out of my butt when you were just <laughs> nice. like that one movie with the annoying kid. Oh, I know who exactly you're talking about. <laughs> Jeez. All right. That's Verdant. Uh, check it out if you're interested, but you'll be fine if you don't. All right. That's going to wrap up this segment. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, keep that train of chugging with the board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time. <laughs> Welcome back. It's time to get into the board game shenanigans. Top 100 games of all time. Numbers 60 through 51. This will culminate halfway point for us, which is kind of exciting, actually. I'm kind of kind of excited about it. Um, So how do we come up with a list? If you've been listening, you have a general idea. If you have not been listening, I'm going to give you a really quick breakdown. 
Uh, Natasha and I both did a top 100 list. It was probably 160 games, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And what we ended up doing is she took the average. If you scored a one, you got a bunch of points. If you scored 150 on a list, you got some negative points. You added them together, come up with a score. And then that's how we came up with our top 100 games. So, for example, my number three game of all time, Natasha hates, never will never play it. <laughs> I keep teasing this game every single time. <laughs> and at some point, it's going to come up and people will know. But. She will not play it, but it should get represented because it's my third favorite game of all time, right? So it needs yeah. to like, it's got to be, I feel like it's coming up. I feel like it's got to be coming up soon. It's got to be soon. No, it's, it's your top three. It's going to be in the, it's going to be in the bottom there. The top, you mean? You get all confusing. Anyway, so you add yeah. up the score and then you, that that's going to be your, that's how we created the list. So obviously a higher number is higher up on the list. So yeah, I guess let's let's just hop into it. Let's hear some games. All right, what's our uh, what's our sixty? Oh, I should know. I this was Natasha's gig, so I didn't do anything. <laughs> so if you don't buy the math, then you can blame me. Yeah, f- pretty much. And if people are just like, "How come you made Mata- Natasha do it all?" Listen, I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Bob so. does all the work. I'm just here for the voice. Yeah, right. She's, I'm yeah. just the face of the podcast. A hundred percent. You're the nice one that people are gonna like want to hang out with. So, and I'm just I'm just the other person that does <laughs> all the work. all the work. That's, yeah, that's for not, sure. That's true. So this section of the list is definitely uh, a bunch of Bob favorites. So, the, but I will start off by ha- the first one is mine. One of my favorites. It comes in at 16 for me. Bob, it comes in at 161. And that just breaks my heart. I think I need to make you play this game a little bit more. <laughs> Because that's the Castles of Mad King Ludwig. I just love this game. Not playing it again. No, I'm good. Maybe the deluxe version will change your mind. I just like the, you get all these puzzle, you get these room pieces. They're all different sizes. They all score differently. Um, But the main stick of the game is that each time you're the, it's your, the active player, you get to set the prices. And then everybody, you know, goes around and buys, pays you whatever you set the price at so if there's a tile you really want you want to price it high enough so people don't buy it but not too high so it's too expensive for you because on your turn then you pay the bank i just i'd love it i just have a lot of fun with this game i'll play the deluxe version this is all this is a game you can just go ahead and play as much as you want without me it's i'm perfectly fine with it here's the thing i the reason why i don't like it doesn't matter. It's a really good game. Yeah. yeah, it's irrevant why you don't. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go fifty nine. I guess. No, tell us <laughs> why you don't like Completely irrelevant. What Bob thinks. <laughs> this is our list, not your list. Uh, the tile placement portion of things is fun. It's not exciting. Okay, the main heart and soul of this game, to use what you like to say, mm-hmm. is that setting of the price of the tiles. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like that. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan because it. Like I have to worry too much about what other people are doing. No, it's easy. That's you, you no. Figure that's it out really easy because there's some rooms that are just better than other rooms, depending on like the objectives of the game, you know, and things. Yeah, that no, it's just too yeah. much. I have to think about like because I don't. If the fact that I price them and everyone's like, "Why'd you do that?" And Natasha wants this one room, and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And it was specific to you. Uh, no, I'm good. Nope, I'm out. Uh, it's a good game. That's, that's our a, that's number a no 60, me, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Great game. Comes in at my number 16. That's how much I like it. All right, another one of my favorite games, my number 59. Bob has not played it. Our 59? Jeez. 
hour fifty nine. Well, you haven't played this one, so okay. But it does come in at thirty two for me, um, and that's Elysium. So this is a game. The theme is like a bunch of different Greek gods, and what makes this game interesting is it's a card game, and you you've got all these different factions of gods, and you pick uh, I think five of them, and and play the game with those just those five, and you've got this. You lay out the cards and you draft them, but the way that you select and pay for them is really unique. You've got these pillars. If you want a card that requires a green pillar, you just have to have a green pillar in front of you, but then you can spend any one of your pillars. So you kind of want to um, save what you think is going to be left, but the cards kind of get eaten up quickly. There's a lot of tension with uh, the cards that you draw, and then you're also... So you're drafting, you have four pillars, you have four actions that you're drafting, you're, but you're only getting three cards. The fourth one is um, turn order, and that's where you get some money and some um, abilities to move the cards around. So there's a lot of tension with when you take that. Should I take the best card out there, or should I take the, the player power that I want the most, or the position that I want the most? Uh, I really like it. It's a set collection, kind of rummy style, where you're building runs and sets. Um, but you've got all these special powers, and a lot of them trigger... Only when you have them at the top part of your Elysium and then you move them to the bottom, that's where score and game scoring, but they no longer have the powers. So deciding when to move them is really fun. It's a really fun, good game and it's held up really well. I enjoy it quite a bit. I'm going to make Bob play it so he can talk about it next time. Tell him how much he likes it. We'll see. Yeah, this is one of those games that I just I've I've actually really wanted to try because it sounds super cool. I think you'll like it. Yeah, just it's an older title that doesn't see play. So. This game was like ripe for an expansion because of the different factions. Yeah. Kind of kind of like Smash Up where you, you just play with whatever. I don't I don't if they haven't gotten an expansion that now, then they're probably not going to. There's a game that's probably gonna be it's gotta be coming up because it I know it was higher on my list. It's gotta be a top twenty game for me that I wish I wish they would do an expansion for, but they never will, and it's really disappointing. And I love that game so much. Yeah, I don't think this one's coming out. That's my number 50, our number 59, Elysium. All right, our number 58, a Bob favorite. He did get me to play this game. This is the Voyages of Marco Polo. So this comes in at 37 for Bob and 109 for me. I liked it, but Bob was just really good at it. So yeah, this used to be a top 10 game for me. It's fallen. Uh, It's fallen down a little bit for me if it's in the 30s. Yeah, this game is incredibly tight. I think what I love the most about this game is the player powers that you get all seem completely busted. Yeah. It, you you have one, you're like, man, my, yeah. And then you see somebody using theirs and you're like, how the heck do you get to do that? And my thing is this. And uh-huh. then you're like, wait, but my thing is this. It, the player powers just do something amazing for the game. It is an incredibly tight efficiency puzzle. The movement is grueling to get to where you need to go. But if, if you don't, you're not going to score that many points. There's just something about it. And it, I'm beating with a dead horse, that Italian design group. They made this game. So you roll some dice and then you have to do stuff with them. Yeah, I do think it's a really good game and I can appreciate it. I think I kind of came in a little bit late for it. So by the time I played it with Bob, he was really good at it. And nobody wants to play a game when you when you suck and everyone's really good at it. Especially a complicated, heavy game like that where you end up just kind of getting destroyed. But it was still fun. Like, I liked, so you roll these dice and then you put the dice out to do these various actions. And my special ability was that I didn't have to roll the dice. I could just place them wherever I wanted to. And I was like, what? That's totally broken. 
but it was, but so was everybody else's. So it was cool. I did like that a lot. Yeah, the but the fact that you have a busted player power is pretty cool. Side note: when you played this, you played it with myself and Jeremy and Chris, right? Yeah. Okay, so Jeremy and I have gotten pretty good at this game because we played it a lot during COVID. And there's actually um, um, one of the board game friends that I've made online. His name's Ed, and he is really good at this game. I I barely ever beat him if we ever play online, and uh, like just watching him play taught me how to be better at this game. But yeah, it, if you're a person who's played it ten times, is gonna just destroy a brand new player. Yeah, it it just that's the way it is, unfortunately. All right, that is our number fifty-eight, The Voyages of Marco Polo. Our number fifty-seven is a newer game that just came out, Garden Bow. This is a favorite of mine. It comes in at thirty-three. Bob likes it. It's his one hundred nine. But I like it quite a bit more. This is a tile laying game. And you you collect, you go around this rondelle, collect seedling tiles. Once you've got seedling tiles, you can play buy plant tiles with the resources. Those go on top of your seedling tiles. Once you've got a couple plant re- plants together, then you can um, put, put these flower tokens out that score a bunch of victory points. It's, uh, it's a nice little meaty puzzle that ended up being a lot trickier than I thought it was going to be. And I really liked that. I agree 100%. The way this game makes you think about putting those pieces together and the spatial reasoning that you need to have along with building tiles up to... So you go from seedlings to plants to flowers and you stack them on top of each other. So you're trying to create this puzzle piece of like making it so you can plant these different flowers and uh, the whole idea of moving forward onto this track. And sometimes you can move as far forward as you want, but you guys, you know, drop stuff off. Yeah, it just kind of came together. This was actually, I was really surprised at how much I liked it. We saw it at Origins. You bought it at Origins. We actually chatted with the designer. And I think originally this game was supposed to be about like color specifically, not necessarily plants, but it just happened to work itself out with that. And yeah, I I really want to play this game more. And if I think, I think if I play it more, there's a chance it might go higher on my list. But I liked it quite a bit, actually. A lot more than I thought I would. I like because you can score points for these seedlings, so you kind of have to set your seedlings up in a way around the around the plants, knowing what you're going to do. There's just a lot of like planning. It's very puzzly, very fun. That's Garden Ball, our number fifty-seven, number fifty-six. I have not played Marvel Champions, the card game. This comes in at twenty-nine for Bob. Yeah, I love this game. Is this a deck builder? Uh, no. It's so it's Arkham. It it follows the living card game Arkham Horror style format but with marvel so so it's a living card game then it is a living card game yep so the one thing that they did differently in this particular game that they did in let's say arkham horror so arkham horror which i guarantee you'll hear about later because i love that game more than marvel champions is in order to create a deck you have to you have to make a deck so think of it in the very beginning before you even do a campaign you need to magic the gathering style build a deck that you you have some restrictions that you have to deal with. You have that same thing in Marvel Champions, but the way they release their decks is so you'll get um trying to think of a random one that you get outside of the game. So you'll buy like Thor. Thor will have a very specific deck and you can just play it out of the box. So instead of having to build a deck, sometimes what you do is you can if you get the base game, there's going to be different aspects like justice, 
you know, aggression, and then you mix it in with the character deck of, let's say, Iron Man, and then you shuffle them up, and that's what you play. So there's a little, it makes it easier in the upfront part. I think that's one of the more daunting tasks of Arkham Horror the card game is building that deck initially, and then playing through the campaign. This, you're going to be playing scenarios, and you can adjust the scenarios and stuff. I really like what they did with it, and I'm a big Marvel fan. So, yeah, this this game's good. I really like how it plays out. All the characters play uniquely different. You can play as their superhero side. You can play as their alter ego. It, it just does some some really cool things. I don't like it as well as Arkham Horror because I like the story in Arkham Horror better. I like the story it tells. All right, that's a number 56, Marvel Champions of the Card Game. All right, our number 55, a favorite of both of ours, just one. So this comes in at 59 for Bob and 68 for me. So games we both enjoy quite a bit. This is my, this got to be my favorite party game. I don't know if a party game is going to be higher up on my list than that. I love this game. This is my, this has got to be my favorite party game of all time. 100%. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's not. Is it, do I have another party game that's higher? No, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm literally saying we'll see. I don't know. Because you. (laughs) I did the list, but I just don't know. I don't have oh, it memorized. Okay. Uh, that's fair. That, no, that's fair. I'll give you that. That's Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I, the way this game comes together about picking. So you pick a card. Uh, you have a, a, a thing you're trying to guess, one word usually. And everyone has a little uh, dry erase marker and a little plastic. Placard. Like placard. a name. There you go. Yep. And you just you write a, you write something on it to try to help that person guess it. If you have two that duplicate, you knock them out. So there's always that, like, do I come up with the most common thing? Because somebody else is going to do it, and then it's going to get just tossed out anyway. Or do I do something completely random? But you want you don't want to be so random mm-hmm. that you completely throw them off. It just, there's something about this game just uh, so good. This so is such good. a great, great uh, party game for anybody. This is it, It's gone over so well with just about any crowd because everyone loves word games. It's just a word yes. game. And it's fun, and you just kind of keep playing it forever. Oh, this is definitely getting recommended on that radio show. I'm telling you that right now. This is yeah. already this is already on my list to recommend. 100%. It, it popped up. That's what I thought of. I thought of that and Cascadia, but I I don't know if you'll recommend Cascadia. I probably will because I think people it it won the Spiel des Jahres. I, like I'm in the minority when it comes to that game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me, but. A lot of people really like that game, and I think it's simple enough that people will like it. I just because I don't like a game doesn't mean I won't recommend it. Yeah, you know. All right, that's just one our our number fifty five. All right, number fifty four, a co op game. So you know, this is comes in at one fifty for me, but Bob loves it. It's his number seventeen, Spirit Island. Oh, this is my favorite cooperative game. Probably it's got to be up there. My wife and I just played it recently. I love this game so much it's such a heavy complex crunchy cooperative game that you're trying to trying to win at it's it has a really cool theme you're playing spirits on an island that obviously as the name would suggest spirit island mm-hmm. haha <laughs> uh so you you pick a spirit and the spirit does has these powers and it's manipulating the island in some way to try to you know help the dahan which are the natives of the island push away the invaders and destroy cities and towns it I really like the theme. It's like counter colonization. Mm-hmm. It uh, 
it's you play these uh you're playing power cards that cost energy and you can unlock things so your your spirit grows and becomes better i did like how everyone played all their cards kind of at the same time so you're not waiting for everyone to take their turn i liked that a lot about the game actually yeah there's slow powers there's fast powers there's there's a lot of variance in this game because the very base game is difficult and then you can add events to it mm-hmm. you can add adversaries you can add uh other conditions and stuff like that. It, there's a lot that goes on there's so much content there's so many different there's so many different spirits you can play now they just released uh two target surprisingly enough is spirit island horizons i want to say which is a smaller box version oh i wonder if it makes it a little bit simpler because it is a little it is quite heavy you know i was wondering the exact same thing and um I don't know if that's going to be the case. I liked it. I just feel like I only played it that one time and it was a little overwhelming to me, a little over my head. I liked. I think if I played it more, it would definitely grow on me, but but not my style of game. It's Horizons of Spirit Island. I wonder if it would be a little bit easier. The problem is on the box, it still says 120 minutes. So it's still a two hour long game. And if it's a two hour long game, is it going to be simpler? Probably not, mm-hmm. right? Maybe. I mean, it could it could take the the rules and just make them a little bit cleaner, you know, like the the maintenance stuff of it all. And and I think I think don't quote me. I think you can use the spirits in it to play regular Spirit Island. Oh, okay. so I think that's the thing you can do. I don't know. Spirit Island has so much content and everything. I just yeah, I I really like that game. It's so crunchy. There's a lot of depth to it. It doesn't follow the same kind of pandemic style uh for the most part you can see what's going to be happening because there's ravaging but before they ravage they build before they build they explore so it gives you an idea of what's coming up it just yeah i i really love how this game i can't talk highly enough of this game i I like the card play quite a bit too it's got a unique card play to it You, you can always upgrade them too and you can get new ones and you can get major powers that are like awesome and when you and you do it they have these turns where you're just like you do all these cool things and kill a bunch of stuff and generate fear and just, it, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I could be here all night, so go ahead. All right, our 54, Spirit Island. All right, number 53, Bob, you're going to have to tell us all about it. Return right. to Dark Tower. This comes in at 25 for you. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cooperative game and maybe the nostalgia of the tower, but it's an app-driven cooperative game and for the most part, it's pretty simple as far as the rule set is concerned. You you know, on a player turn, you you have a banner action, you get some stuff, and then you can do a couple actions, move, and then do another action, and then you drop a skull into the thing. You're you're essentially starting the game by selecting the type of adversary you want to go against and the minions you want to go against, and then the app for the most part runs everything in the background. So you don't actually have to do much. Just take your turn and then drop a skull into the tower. And then kind of, yeah, kind of go from there. Dark Tower, the original OG Dark Tower, I played a ton with my with my buddy Matt growing up as kids. So the nostalgia factor is probably pretty high for me when it comes to this. But it's still, I think, a really good game. The way it integrates that app gives you some cool choices. Uh, my wife and I played it, and we played a ton of it. Um, just back to back to back. I just left it set up and we just played a ton of it. So it's, it has a lot of, 
it's an adventure style game. You're going around it. It tells uh it tells a unique story based on what you're playing against. And there's different different quests you got to complete. There's different items you need to get. You want to gear up. You want to try to you know attack it. They have this advantage system where there's different things like melee, and you can have so many advantages in melee. Well, if you go against a creature that has melee, they have essentially a deck that gets drawn from digitally on the app. And then if you want to uh, decrease the effects of it, you to use one of your melee advantages against it. I thought I think that advantage system is actually pretty neat. So yeah, I really yeah I love I love this game. You know, top twenty for me. Yeah. Was it 25? 25. twenty five? Twenty five. Bob, um, our number fifty three. Return to Bob's, Dark Tower. Were you gonna say Bob's fifty three? Yeah. <laughs> it's my twenty five. It's not. It's our fifty three, but my twenty five. Favorite. Our number fifty three. Return to Dark Tower. Yeah. All right, number 52, I'm going to need some help with this one. This is a favorite of Bob's. He likes it slightly better than Return of the Dark Tower. It comes in at 23, but it comes in at 128 for me. It's fine. It's Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan, <laughs> City of, of Gods. God. I love it when you struggle to say it. I don't know why, because I'm such a jerk. What is the name of the game? Teotihuacan, City of Gods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Why don't it's a you fiddly, like it? Quite a fiddly game. I disagree. I don't think it's fiddly at all. A hundred percent. I don't think it's fiddly. You you've got these different actions you can go to with your dice, and every yep. time you go to an action, then you can upgrade your dice. So you just you start on pip one, then you up, rotate it to pip two. But you do that at the end of your turn. You know, you got to pay Coco to go to the spot if other people are there, or you can take Coco based on the number of dice that are there. But really, it's just the number of dice colors that are there. Plus one. It's just really fiddly. You end up building this like pyramid, which is kind of cool. You go around. It's a rondelle style, which is neat. I, maybe it's because I haven't like really mapped it out. I, like I either go too fast and don't do enough, or I go too slow and then don't get to complete enough what I want. I don't know. That's maybe if where I play the tension more. is. You just just described where the tension is in this game. How quickly do you go around? Like, well, how... I th- I failed at it. So did you not like it because you lost so poorly? I didn't lose poorly. I just lost regularly. What I don't. What was the? Do you remember the spread? Yeah, it wasn't much. I barely lost. Uh, hold on, we're, we're gonna find this out. Investigation checks. All right, all right. So I played it twice, and okay, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't score the worst. Yeah, but I, well, I, I mean, I beat you. I beat you pretty well, I'd say. Yeah. Humble brag over here. Yeah, I beat Natasha at a game she's not good at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't even in last place. I don't even think on either of these. No, it was fine. But yeah, I just don't have it. I don't have it down. I I love that. I love the system of upgrading the dice and then they ascend and then you get a cool thing. So sometimes you're just, you're trying to bide your time so you can get these big turns and you you have a rondelle that you can only move so far forward. Sometimes the way they... The action spots are laid out. It doesn't quite work. So how quickly do you go? What is everyone doing? When can I, when should I just, do I accumulate a ton of resources and then just like vomit out a bunch of stuff onto the board or do I wait? Do I just do a couple things? It, I, yeah, this game comes I don't like together the cocoa, very well Like you have to like spend all this cocoa. So you have to spend turns just getting cocoa, which isn't very fun. It just, to me, it feels really fiddly. The only fiddly part of this game is the cocoa. No, and then flipping the dice, you have to do that at the end of your turn. You throw. How is that fiddly? Dice. You literally grab a dice and you just switch it to. Plus, like you're pit. constantly like, grabbing tiles and doing all kinds of. It turns take a long time. It's fine. It's fine. I, it's so good. I disagree. 
I just maybe if I played it more, it would grow on me. I mean, it seems like a style of game I would like it. You know, I like. I don't know style. how you don't like this game. I I don't know. I don't know. That's uh, T- City of Gods, our number fifty-two. All right, number fifty-one. Uh, another favorite of Bob's, actually. This is Maracaibo. Comes in at 26 for him. I like this one a little bit better than the last one. It's a 115 to me. I, I like it fine. You don't like Maracaibo? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know why. I just, I think it's, I think it's the cube thing, putting cubes out in that whole way that that scores. Like, I just, I don't understand it. So I just like. The battle system. Yeah. yeah. The battle system in this game is. Uh... I don't know, at this point, I've played the game so many times that the battle system is just second nature to me because I, my wife and I played through the campaign. So for me, it, it's, it's fine, but that's the di- most difficult part of the teach. I love the card play in this game. I love the card play in this game. You mm-hmm. play cards to your tableau. They'll give you things. There's also, they have icons on it, like, oh my good style. They'll have icons in the center of the card kind of off to the side, and they're going to be goods where they're going to be like maps and scrolls. You're going to use them to complete quests, or you're going to discard them to drop off goods to upgrade your ship. I like that part of the game. I like taking the discs off your ship, and then you have better powers. That was cool. Yeah, you're unlocking stuff. Uh, the expansion gives each ship like a unique power now, so it kind of differentiates you just a little bit more. Uh, That's fun. Yeah, I, lo- I really like the card play in this. You know, you can move move one to seven spaces, which seems ridiculous but it works it just i feel like it's just a little overwhelming because you've got the the cubes and the way that those score and i'm like i don't quite know how that's gonna wear work out in the end of the game and then you have this little jungle thing that you can get off your boat and go down this jungle track which i just kind of ignore that every game and it's just a lot going on it's almost like those cubes because there's three uh nations there's france britain and spain that are going trying to like rule the caribbean and you're basically fighting for those individuals and gaining favorship, a.k.a. stocks, into those things. And as many cubes that are put onto the board, that's how much your stocks are worth at the end of the game. So if you have five influence and there's you know five gold coins, you have 25 points. So it has a lot of that stock kind of-ish feel. Yeah, yeah. And that was always just like, cannot compute like i don't know how to play this like i don't know what the best action is like i just don't know what to do with it but i do you know i do like the combat system because you don't actually fight anybody you fight these like you pick the tile and then you're like okay which one do i want to fight well and i like that and you just can basically spend their combat points yeah points i like that because i don't actually like combat so i like that style yeah it's not like combat you're not rolling dice and the thing is you choose who you're fighting for and you're a pirate so you can choose spain today britain tomorrow yeah i like france the next day yeah so i i do that a lot whenever i can because i don't know i just think that's fun yeah and you can score a ridiculous amount of points from cards you can score a ridiculous amount of points for being in, in the with the different nations there's a lot of ways to score points in this game mm-hmm. it's definitely requires a lot of effort i think i i think I would appreciate the game more if I've played it more I think I've only played it like three times maybe just come on over we'll play and my wife loves this game so we'll play it whenever you want all right that's our number fifty one Maracaibo and that wraps up this week's list halfway through what what <laughs> Now the games start getting good. <laughs> they were-
they weren't that good up until this wait i i do okay so i do want to take a second i really enjoy the fact that we did a combined list i wasn't i'll be honest i wasn't 100 percent sure about it but i like it because when as we're going through this there's games that i hate and you're just like, I don't know why you hate this game. And then there's games that you hate. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, how do you hate this game? <laughs> I just, uh, it's, it feels it's, so good. It's fun. I just love, that's what I love about this hobby. You can find people that love board games and you have totally different style than them. But there's always some games that you both really like. And yeah. I love that about this hobby. Like, I can always find a game with people that I like. And I always find differences. Like, there's nobody that we're, that are going to have the same list that we have either, which which I think is really cool. Yeah, agreed. All right, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Our Shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to do 10 more. You know Please it. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions. Let us know when Bob is wrong or being a d- <laughs> to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. See you next week.